are these things that can provide credibility, build my credibility, build my book of work. So going back to saying yes to the opportunity because it looks good on my resume or it looks good in my bio. There are some times that you want to say yes to that. Or who is it going to put me in front of that could put me in front of the right people to do the thing? There is a tangible potential reward on the, that's how I weigh it. Um, and if you've read the book Essentialism, I think that's the best way to, to figure out this whole ROI conversation or ROEI conversation. The book Essentialism by Greg McEwen fundamentally changed my life. And it takes you through a filtration system of figuring out, because it's not just about saying no to saying yes, it's figuring out what things you want to say yes for. And if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. Hi, my name is Pete McCall. And I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is a guest for this episode, Miss Shannon Fable. Before I go into the full introduction for Shannon, I want you to keep in mind that the primary purpose, the main reason why I do this podcast is to reach out to consumers. I work in the fitness industry. I've lived in the fitness world for more than 20 years. Ever since 1998, I have been full-time in the fitness industry in a variety of different capacities. In the industry, we generally tend to identify people either as a fitness professional, those who work in the industry, and consumers, those who use the industry. Whether you're a health club member, you take fitness classes, you use a personal trainer, you do online workouts. If you're a general consumer, that's how we classify you. If you work in fitness we tend to refer to you as a fitness professional. And now fitness professionals can refer to a few different categories. You can be a personal trainer. You can be a fitness instructor or a group fitness instructor, what was once upon a time called aerobics instructor, but we've evolved now. Or a lot of instructors are calling themselves coaches because they do both. A lot of fit pros, and this is where I fell in, a lot of fit pros both trained clients one-on-one and taught group classes. And while a majority of the content I produce on this podcast is for the general fitness consumer, there are times when I have guests on that may be a little bit more relevant to fitness professionals. But here's the deal. If I'm doing an interview with them, it's also because it can share some information with you no matter what industry you work in. And that's exactly the case with Shannon Fable. Now, I've known Shannon for a number of years. You'll hear a little bit about our backstory in the conversation today. Shannon has done a number of different things. She went from being an instructor to a program director to a presenter. And if you're not not used to industry vernacular, a presenter is somebody who travels around and educates other personal trainers or instructors. That's my primary job right now. Once upon a time, I worked full-time in a gym. Now, my job is to consult with organizations. And that's where I've really developed a good relationship with Shannon over the past few years. So Shannon has gone from instructor to program director to presenter. She actually she created her own business. She created a software company to manage group fitness programs and sold that a few years ago. Since then, she's worked as a consultant. She's worked as a private coach, a business coach. And most importantly, she ended up being the chair of the board of directors of the American Council on Exercise. I worked at the American Council on Exercise for about five years. And that's where Shannon Shannon and I first crossed paths. So Shannon has held a number of different hats in the fitness industry. And that's what we talk about today is how she has grown her career. I'm 48 years old and Shannon's a few years behind me in age. 
And in her brief, in her young career, and I still consider her young, we're all young, right? In her career, Shannon has held a number of different roles, a number of different positions. And so many colleagues of mine will ask for advice about, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, the one thing I hear quite often, and sometimes is like nails on a chalkboard, is let me pick your brain. If you ever reach out to me, please don't use that phrase. I don't necessarily like that phrase. I'm more than happy to have a conversation. I'm more than happy to have a chat. I'm more than happy to answer a few questions. For some reason, I just don't like that pick your brain phrase. That said, Shannon and I have had a few interesting conversations the last few months, and I told her, I was like, hey, look, next time we talk, let's record it. And the cool thing is, this is the first time I did a live podcast, meaning I figured out how to connect Zoom to Facebook Live. So as we're recording this, we were broadcast live on on her Facebook feed. I I linked it to her Facebook feed. I'm going to start trying to do that. And again, I want to remind you, if you're new to Clubhouse, if if you've heard of the new app Clubhouse, Clubhouse is an online chat room of real live conversations. You can look for me there, Pete McCall, and I plan on trying to do at least one chat once a week for listeners of All About Fitness just to let you in a little bit behind, behind the scenes on upcoming episodes, maybe to answer a few questions about recent guests or recent episodes, but I want to use Clubhouse as a way to interact with one another. On this episode of All About Fitness, Shannon Fable and I have a great conversation about career growth. How do you go from being an instructor to being an executive? How do you go from being a fitness professional to being a business owner? And maybe you work in another career. Maybe you work in software sales. Maybe you work in the medical industry. And if you do work in the medical industry, thank you so much. I know you guys have been working really hard. Maybe you're a teacher, an educator. And again, thank you for all the extra work you've been doing the past years. We've been going through everything. But no matter where you work, you can get a few nuggets out of this conversation today because we talk about different strategies. Both Shannon and I share different strategies that we've used to grow and evolve our careers from people that basically, as my friend Trisha says, what instructors do is we count down backwards from eight. I always joke that my job is to make half-naked people sweaty. That's what an instructor does. That's what a personal trainer does. And this conversation today is about how do we take the mindset, how do we take an entrepreneur's mindset to anything we do? How can we be a leader in any organization we become involved with? What, what opportunities can we take? Because I firmly believe, I firmly believe in a couple key things. Number one, if you're not swinging for the fences, you're never going to get home runs. I believe that. I'm, I'm happy to strike out. If I strike out, if I make a mistake, I'm fine with that but I want to be swinging for the fences. Number two, you will always regret the opportunities you don't take. You will. I'd rather sit around wondering, I'd rather sit around saying, you know what, that didn't work than sit around wondering what if. And the third thing, and I believe this to the depths of my soul, the third thing is there is no such thing as luck. Luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparation. And that's one of the things that Shannon and I talk about today quite a bit. There is no such thing as luck. If you do your job, if you show up on time, if you're prepared and ready to rock and roll with a positive attitude, great things happen. Now, before we get into the interview, if you need exercise solutions, if you need to learn how to design exercise programs to reach your goals, I got a couple options for you. Number one is my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I've been educating personal trainers for more than 15 years And in Smarter Workouts, I can teach you how to design the exercise programs that can enhance your quality of life. Another option is an ebook I wrote called Exercise Program Design for the Fountain of Youth. 
in exercise program design, that's actually the precursor for my upcoming book, Ageless Intensity. In the ebook, I tell you how exercise can slow down the aging process, and I give you workouts that will help you do that. And if you're not ready to make a commitment, then go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. If you go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, sign up for my mailing list. I'm actually going to start doing some series of webinars for people who sign up for my mailing list just to give you more information. Look, here's the selfish thing. Selfishly, I love teaching others because when I teach, I learn more. If I, sign, if I agree to do a talk, if I agree to write a blog, if I agree to write an article, when I work on my books, I learn so much more. So selfishly, I love teaching because it helps me learn. And if you go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com, and sign up for my blog, I take what I learned and I share it with you. I send out one or two emails a month, and I put out high-quality information about how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. So there you go. Now, on to the conversation. And hey, for those of you that want to see this conversation, I put this up on YouTube a couple days ago. Go to the All About Fitness Podcast page on YouTube. That's All About Fitness Podcast page on YouTube. And you can watch this interview. I'll be posting up most of my interviews on the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube so you can see it as well as here. So here we are with instructor, entrepreneur, and leader, Ms. Shannon Fable. All right, this is a first ever. I am a I am doing a live podcast, a live Facebook live with a good friend Shannon Fable. It took us a couple minutes to figure out the technology, but you know what? You're here, I'm here. So the immortal words of Mr. Hand, I think we're ready to uh, rock and roll. How you doing today, Shannon? I am good. Well done. You you know, grace under fire. You were totally calm figuring that whole thing out. Very impressive. Very impressive. Well, and, and you know what? I have to. I will raise my hand, and I'm one of the first people to get a little grumpy this far into doing everything live remotely. I get frustrated when people don't understand Zoom, and I configured my Zoom webinar to be able to go live on Facebook, but didn't realize I hadn't hit the button for Zoom meetings. So that just it's live and learn. But how are you doing? How's everything going today? I am good. It is cold outside. I know you're all bundled up, even though you're in Southern California where it's 52. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not as cold as, as, as some other folks, but yeah, it's really cold here. It's Wednesday in the afternoon. Hard to believe the week is halfway over. I don't, I think we talked about this the other day. Like I feel like the days go by really, really slow, but the weeks go by really, really fast. And I'm in, in some just awkward time warp, but here we are. I'm just excited to be here chatting with you. Glad we got well, to do this. No, I'm glad. I'm so stoked we're doing this. And, and I, I think that's that's a great way to, to sum it up because it does seem like days kind of grind on. But then all of a sudden, you're like, wait, where the weeks go? And here we are more than halfway through February of 2021. And I'm finally, finally having you on the podcast because what I want to speak to you about, Shannon, is, is you're somebody who I respect a lot because you've really done a phenomenal job of making the transition from being an instructor and the one thing that always gets in my crawls when someone says, I'm just an instructor, but I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, right? And I'm sure you have a thought to share on that. But you've made the transition from being an instructor to an entrepreneur to a consultant. And so what I want to be able to do is to talk with you about that process. And so to kind of you can, you can teach others how to do the same thing. So first question I have is, how'd you get started in fitness? What got you? How'd you get your start in the fitness industry? What made you say, I want to do that? Yeah, I'm going to try to keep it brief. I'm sure lots of you listening have heard the story, but 
Um, I was a cheerleader in college and was fortunate. I went to the University of Florida. So we got to work out with all the strength and conditioning coaches uh, that worked out basketball team, football team, everyone. So got bit by the bug, the lifting bug actually in college. And this is the part where I use humor because it took a lot of years of therapy to get over it. But I say after college, I treated an eating disorder for an exercise disorder and stumbled into a group fitness class and just thought I could. Like there was never any grand plan to be a fitness instructor, but I did like, I, I started eating cause I wasn't getting weighed in anymore. And when I started eating, I decided I probably needed to exercise cause I wasn't training anymore. So I was that girl on the step mill, right? Watching TV with your FM radio plugged in on your Walkman to look at the TV. And, uh, I found a step class and it was like all my loves came together of, of dance and cheerleading and performance and like the typical person started in the back row, worked my way to the front and just had a tape in my bag. Cause I knew one day that lady wasn't going to show up and I could do it. Um, so it was an accident. I'm a sociologist by trade and did population density studies when I found my way into fitness very strange. And the rest of it's history. Cause I was, I mean, I, I don't like to say lucky and I would tell everyone never say you're lucky. Like everything happens for a reason. And there was something in you ready to capitalize on the opportunity. That's not luck, but I um, was very fortunate that I worked for at that time. It was called, um, the names of the clubs called, they were owned by rich Boggs who owned the step company at sports life. And uh, Melissa Lane, who you know very well, was my manager. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And Jennifer Renfro, who's the VP of fitness at Crunch, we learned how to step touch together with Melissa taught us. Wow. We were owned by Rich Boggs at the step company. And um, the step company was the original distributor of Les Mills. So I became one of the first 10, 15 body pump instructors in the U.S. So a lot of stuff just happened because I was in really interesting places at the right time, ready to do it. But that, that was the initial foray into fitness was I stumbled into a step class. Well, and I want to come back to kind of the evolution because you, you and I, I think started, you maybe were a couple years ahead of me. And I want to talk a little bit about how the industry has evolved over the years. But then, well, the question I have is as an instructor, aren't you kind of an entrepreneur because I think some people look at being an instructor as, as my job is to go up there and teach a class. But I look at at being an instructor is it gives you the foundation for going out and doing other things where you have to be very entrepreneurial. So as an instructor, Shannon, do you feel that you're an, an entrepreneur? And how did you leverage that once you started making that realization? Yeah, I've never really looked at it until you asked me the question right before we went on. And, and I think, you know, in the business coaching that I do, I take entrepreneurs through a system. And one of the first questions that I ask them is, who do you want to serve? What do you provide? And why do you do it? And so through that lens, I think you're by de facto, whether you work for a club or not, as a group fitness instructor, you are an entrepreneur because you've decided who do you want to teach? What do you want to teach them? And you have to have a profound why for doing it because no one goes into it to be rich, right? So you have all the makings of an entrepreneur. And then you just start finding opportunities where all those things align. Now, every once in a while, you get pulled along a trajectory because a director says, oh, I'd like you to teach this. Or like in my case, I need you to teach this new format, body pump, go give it a shot, right? So people drag you into opportunities. But but I think you, you, you just, you always knew who you wanted to teach to, what time slots, where, what you wanted to do. And you just kept packaging it up and taking it on to other places. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that set me down the trajectory of, of entrepreneurship is you can't just 
teach in one club and have Melissa tell you all the things you're going to do. And it's going to make you all the money in the world to pay the bills. Right. I had to keep adding to my war chest, so to speak, different formats, different people that I could uh, interact with and, and resonate with. I'd have to go this location, that location, sometimes take on a new club altogether and learn their things. So you became like a shapeshifter. And that's a lot of what you need to do to be an entrepreneur, right? Be really, really solid in your who, what, and why, and then seek out the opportunities and make sure they line up. So I don't know if that quite answers your question, but that's the best way I can think of it. And, and, and who's responsible for getting people in your class? The gym is not. I was responsible. And you're responsible in two ways. You either keep showing up and doing your best work so people talk about you doing your best work and you get more work more people come or you go out and work the floor and you network and you talk to people and you tell them to go talk to people. So you're working both the core self-promotion strategies that you need as an entrepreneur and also just continuing to be the best at your craft. So people talk about you being the best at your craft and, and all that is a recipe for being wildly successful as an entrepreneur, if you look at it that way. Well, and that's exactly my thought, Shannon, was that as an entrepreneur, you're going out, you have to you have to find customers. I think I think the biggest lie that people tell themselves, and I found this to be the case, is you have people that have this dream of, I want to work for myself, I want to work for myself, and it's kind of like timeout. You never ever work for yourself. Unless you're independently wealthy, unless you had some rich Uncle Max that that left you $100 million and you got to go run in the New York mayor's election and be able to get $300 million like in Brewster's Millions, you always are working for somebody. You're always, if you're an independent consultant like yourself or like myself, your clients become your bosses. So yes, you have some freedom and some, some, some ability to kind of pick and choose, but you're ultimately always working for somebody. But that's why I asked you that question because as, as an instructor, it's that self-promotion. And that's exactly what an entrepreneur needs in order to get out there and get those customers, to get those clients, and to be able to establish mm-hmm. that, that recognition. Now, when, when did you make the transition from being an instructor to being a presenter? And how did that, how did that help you along your journey? And, and I'm asking that question in terms of professionalism. Like what, what yeah. level of professionalism was required to go from teaching in a studio to teaching on a stage at conferences? This one I have to answer looking in the rearview mirror because you're going to laugh at my story. It was another accident. Um, I mean, quite literally was an accident. So I started working for the step company, became, uh, started organizing the trainers that were doing body pump trainings and became a trainer myself. I don't know that I knew that was presenting or educating and it was still on the small stage, right? You would go into a club and teach to 15 people, 20 people and teaching a three-day course. I mean, it is presenting. Again, I look in the rear view mirror and I was presenting and I didn't even know it, but my real first presenting gig was in 1999 at the Ideal World Convention. Uh, Along the way, our clubs got bought by Crunch and Donna Cyrus, who was in charge of group fitness at the time at Crunch, Again, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, but she had, uh, you know, Crunch has trendy programs and they had a program called Urban Rebounding. And the guy that started Urban Rebounding was this New Yorker that used the F word like every other word. And she saw me as this little cheerleader, bouncy, whole Southern belle that could be the yin to his yang. So it was a casting call for her. She's like, you're a good teacher. You've got the right personality. I think you're going to mellow him out. I am sending you to Las Vegas and you're going to teach an urban rebounding class with this guy. It's like, sweet. That sounds fun. So I roll up. I'm like, what is this thing? Oh, it's a fitness conference. What's that? You go to fitness conferences. You need CECs. 
seriously have been teaching for like a year and um, got up on stage. And the first time I presented, I was in front of 200 people and the rest is history. So I'm so glad I didn't know what I was getting myself into because I probably would have peed my pants. <laughs> but um, looking in the rear view mirror, I think the difference uh, in, in moving from the, the small stage to the large stage was a lot of what you just said. It was uh, needing to have a press kit at that time. It was in paper and you sent it to people, right? Having a press kit, learning how to stand up and give an introduction and and create rapport very, very quickly in a room full of people that don't know you and actually probably maybe don't even want you to succeed. Is that horrible? But it reminded me of feeling like a sub. So I always encourage people, if you ever want to get better at teaching, take every subbing opportunity possible and embrace it and start to play it as a game. Like how quickly can I win this crowd over? Um, because I mean, that is how you make it as a presenter, right? It is, is winning people over very, very quickly. And I would say that translates into consulting because to get the gig, you've got to make people that have the money trust you in very short order. And you may or may not have ever done the work or produced the work that you're looking to do. So I guess that's the the biggest takeaway for me is the switch became learning how to not be scared and fearful, but trust that I could win over a crowd. And if I didn't win them all over, it was fine, but uh, win over enough people that it worked. Well, it's interesting. I never thought about that, Shannon, but you're 100% right that walking into a room to sub a class when the group is expecting their usual five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever instructor, and they're staring at you. They're giving you these dagger eyes, like, who are you? Where is so-and-so? And I, I was, when I first started teaching, I, I, I never intended to become an instructor. I think I'd taken maybe three Group X classes before I became an instructor. But it was my ex-wife, who had been a aerobics director, group fitness director, who said, why don't you start teaching? That's how you'll get clients. And she would basically encourage me to go out and teach and, and sub classes. And I really, I, at the beginning, I knew very little about what I was doing. I maybe kept it a little bit too safe. But over time, you develop that, you learn how to win people over, whether it's through programming, whether it's through personality, whatever it is, you learn how to win people over. And I think that those skills are invaluable down the line. Like sometimes when people, I don't know if you get this question a lot. And I think I remember sitting through a, a talk you did years ago before we knew each other personally. In fact, I know I did. You, you gave you gave a talk about how to become a presenter. And what are some of those, if for people out there that might be looking to take that next step to go from teaching to a class to teaching on a stage or taking more of a leadership role, what are some of your suggestions for how they can make that transition, how they might be able to make that transition? Ooh, I'm going to talk at a two sides of my mouth and I hope keep my, my points quick and to the point. One, you have to productize what it is you do versus just perform. Mm. And what do I mean by that? I think there are a lot of really great instructors and trainers out there that think they can become presenters because they're good at what they do, but just being good at what you do and not being able to teach other people how to have your same level of success is not worth presenting about. Does that make sense? Um, another great example is like, I mean, I could show up and you can be a great instructor and go to a bigger stage and teach to more consumers because you're great at performing and teaching. But to become a presenter, you're becoming an educator. You're, you're no longer in, I mean, there is an element of entertainment for sure. There's the staging of it all. And 
Um, you know, all the things that winning over the group really, really quickly, but you have to have something that's a product. And by product, I mean, I've got to either be able to teach you a system, a method, but I can't be the secret sauce. Does that make sense? That doesn't make you a presenter. You just being good. You could teach a lot of master classes at a conference, but you're not going to get hired to do the real sessions that, um, that people clamor for to get their CECs. That would be the first. The second thing that I would say goes more along the core self-promotion strategies, which we were just talking about a minute ago, and it is networking and keeping track of every person you've ever met and continuing to add value to their lives over and over and over so that if you stay in their purview, when an opportunity comes or they hear about an opportunity, they start to match you up to the opportunity versus you having a cold call. So I'd say like the keep in touch strategy is a, is a really, really good thing. Just, just staying in, in front and, and fostering those connections with people. So when they hear about opportunities, they'll think of you. I can't, honestly, I, I can't support that enough, Shannon, because my, what I did for a couple of years before getting into fitness was work in politics and politics is all, you're not producing, you're, there's no tangible good. You don't produce a tangible good in politics. You're delivering a service allegedly for the people, for the people that elected the politician. But I worked I, I worked on Capitol Hill for a little bit and I worked off Capitol Hill for a couple organizations. But everything, I grew up in Washington, D.C. My mother was a politician. She turned into, for lack of a better term, lobbyist. And that's what I learned. I learned about relationships. I learned about connecting. I learned about how important it is to do favors for people and how important it is to be able to be responsive when people ask you to do something and, and the, the the thing I share to people, and I don't know if, and I'm, I'll be interested in your opinion on this, Shannon, is a huge secret to success. And I don't want to call it a secret, but a huge key to success, show up, be prepared and have the right attitude. Would you, yeah. how, would you add anything to that? I mean, I think if you have those three things, if you show up, you're ready to rock and roll, you're prepared and you have a positive attitude no matter what happens, like a couple technical issues and trying to go Facebook Live, you are ready. You right. can work through it and make it work. I mean, what, what's, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I think for sure being prepared, 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 not being afraid to publish and fail, right? Your first presentation is not going to be great, but going again. But I want to go back to something you said because it's interesting. I've had a couple of uh, coaching calls today, business coaching calls today, and Showing up and doing good for people in hopes that they will put you up for a job is very different than continuing to give away your knowledge for free in hopes that it eventually will manifest. What do I mean by that? Hold on, because I might say something that I'm going to regret and I'm going to try to phrase it so it's not um, (laughs) damaging. All right, what do I mean by that? There are a lot of organizations that pray on people wanting to become presenters because they know most of us have an ego that teacher train, right? Like we're all frustrated rock stars to some degree, or we would not get up and do public speaking every day. And it is natural if you're good and you get the ad girls and you get the praise that you start to seek a bigger audience, whether that's a bigger class or more classes, or you go from training to teaching. So you see more people and you may explore becoming a presenter because you're like, well, if I like this, I'm going to love that. And people know that. And so if you're good at what you do, you can give it away for free sometimes, but do not let that go on too long where you're getting taken advantage of. 
Do not be afraid to ask for what you're worth. And I, I mean, I'm sure we could talk about this, but it'd probably be better in a closed door session with a couple of glasses of wine, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever do anything for free, but at some point know that you should be paid. And if, if the payment is not financial, you need to be able to capitalize off the opportunity. There needs to be some kind of call to action that you can either get the list, talk to the people later, continue to sell your services down the line, get invited back, and then you'll, you know, get this amount. But um, I just, I really struggle when I see people wanting to get onto a bigger stage so badly that they'll do it for $50 or for $100 or for no, or even worse, pay your way, get there and do the thing. I'll leave it there. Don't give... (laughs) (laughs) you don't need to give it away and and now I think you know the COVID closures have shown us there are plenty of ways to get out there and get your feet wet with presenting and educating that aren't traditional what we're doing and build your book of work so you can go to organizations and be like no look these are the number of people I can bring to your event these are the people that follow me these are the people that want to hear from me so I think the game is changing a little bit but yeah, I just really caution people for, for thinking they've got to give it away too long for free to get the job. Um, trust that there is value in what you do, whether I taught for a year before I went and presented. Like, it, it's not about you paying your dues, I guess, is what I'm saying. If you've got something to say that is productized that can enhance the life of another fitness professional, you should get something out of that transaction or out of that out of that opportunity. Well, let's on that note. Let's talk about ROI for a moment because I know you are big, Shin. And one of the things that, that I've seen you, and I know I've seen you give this talk over the years, is developing systems and and really making sure that you have things in place. But I think at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to that return on investment. And what I mean by that is return on time. For example, that you just talk about, you probably don't have a you probably don't have a, a problem if you go to a meeting or take a phone call with somebody. That's an hour of your time. We only have nine, 10 hours a day that we can fill with business in a standard workday, right? And so for you to give an hour of your time to somebody for a potential client call or that you don't have as a customer yet, you are taking a gamble on that ROI that's going to turn into something down the line. So talk a little bit about your thought process because I know personally, and, and then you know, I'm interested in your feedback because I know that anything I get involved with, it's like, okay, what is that return long-term? Is this going to be a? Is this going to be somebody that that I'm going to develop a relationship with? That maybe it's a friendship or a professional relationship that we can we can collaborate with together in the future. Can this turn into a potential income opportunity? Or and and I think people have to be comfortable saying no if they do not see a, a specific tangible ROI. I think the biggest, I think the most, the beneficial thing somebody could do whether they're in fitness or any other industry, is learn when to say no and say, you know what, that's not going to be worth my time because there's no tangible results out of it. So I'd be interested in your feedback on that, Shannon, on taking a look at how do you determine ROI when you take on a project and when you're looking at an opportunity? Sure. It's a loaded question um, because I want to back up and say I – Sometimes I feel bad because people turn off when we get into these conversations because they're sitting at home watching us going, well, sure, you guys can say you've been doing it for 20 years. I'm just getting started. So I want to make sure you hear me when I say it doesn't mean being stingy and you're going to expand and contract what I call your red velvet rope policy throughout your career. 
Um, it, it doesn't just escalate, right? Like I don't just get more specific about what I do and don't do and say no to more things to make room for yes over the years. It expands and contracts a lot, but there is a method to the madness of the question that you're asking. And I think it starts with what I said earlier. If you know who your target market is, who you're trying to help, like I was put on this earth to serve X, Y, Z, and you know what the number one result is that you provide and you are very rooted in an authentic why, then that becomes the first test for whether or not a call, an appointment, um, an event, any opportunity is worthwhile. The other thing you have to layer onto that is what I just mentioned, the red bubble rope policy, and that's the qualities of the people that you want to work with. So the first one is more of a tangible, like, this is my business plan. This is what I'm after. How does that relate? But then the subset of that is of those opportunities, which ones have the qualities of the people in the organizations that I'd like to work for? So that's a two-sided coin. Does that make sense? Because you don't want to take everyone with a pulse and a paycheck. And the way I explain it to trainers is, I mean, I know I did that when I started training. I took everyone with a pulse and a paycheck because my quota was $10,000 a month. Like, where is that going to come from? I will take the old lady. I will take the young lady. I will take the pregnant lady. I will take the 14-year-old. I will take the person who doesn't actually want to work out. I don't care. Give it to me. But eventually, the way I explain Red Velvet Rope is not only did I not have a through line in my target market or what I wanted to do, which sent me scrambling, talk about ROI. Like I was scrambling every day trying to program because I had to know everything about everyone or fake it, which is even a worse return on your investment. But then there were also people that on Sunday, when I would look at my Franklin Covey planner, because it was back in the nineties, let's be clear. <laughs> there'd be at least three people that I hoped would not show up. That's what I mean by red velvet rule policy. Not, not that I didn't know that I could do the training because I would rise to the occasion, but like I seriously hoped that they would just not show up because they just sucked my soul dry. You know that you've had people like that. So that's the first filter, right? Is you get really clear about who, what, and why, and then the qualities of the people, and you run it through that filter first before you ever start to really think about, I call, um, Chuck Runyon, who I worked for at any time, called it ROEI, the return on emotional investment. Mm. So if they make it past your filter, that's a good check in the right box. And then you do start to weigh it out. Okay, what do I have to do to prepare for this? What is the potential outcome of it? And how many ways, I know we've talked about this a lot, how many ways can I repurpose this or lather, rinse, repeat it? So for example, I'm doing another, uh, the first intensive I've done in a really long time, a book yourself solid, very small group. And I'm inviting some people in gratis because I want them in there to give me feedback. And because I'm interested in the work that they're doing, some people, um, the rest of the majority of them paying a premium to be in this group, but it's still a lot. If I looked at it on a balance sheet, it's still a lopsided investment. But I know that everything that I do, one, the people that I'm letting in gratis, I'm going to get feedback that I couldn't get if I wasn't doing the work, right? You got to publish the work to get the feedback on the work to see if the work is good. And then all the other people that are, the majority of the people that are paying, like, it's not going to cover my time at all. But I know the body of work over 12 weeks, I can slice, dice, lather, rinse, repeat, and do it multiple times. And the next time, and the next time, and the next time, it isn't as hard. So sometimes you've got to play it out and know, like, is this something that I'm biting off 
to your point, systems, I really like a good system. Is it something that I can repurpose or I can lather, rinse, repeat and do it again where the return on the investment over time will work out? The other things to think about are, are these things that can provide credibility, build my credibility, build my book of work. So going back to saying yes to the opportunity because it looks good on my resume or it looks good in my bio. There are some times that you want to say yes to that. Or who is it going to put me in front of that could put me in front of the right people to do the thing? And we've all done a lot of that this year, right? Doing a lot of lives like this. Like there's no financial exchange, but I know what it does for you. I know what it does for me. It didn't take too much time to prepare, maybe a little stress on the technology front there and uh, doing it at the end of the day before I have my fourth cup of coffee. But there is a tangible potential reward on the, that's how I weigh it. Um, and if you've read the book Essentialism, I think that's the best way to, to figure out this whole ROI conversation or ROEI conversation. The book Essentialism by Greg McEwen fundamentally changed my life. And it takes you through a filtration system of figuring out, because it's not just about saying no to saying yes, it's figuring out what things you want to say yes for. And if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. I think really that's so powerful, no, but I think that's so powerful because you have to be able to, at the end of the day, we all have to be able to feel comfortable laying our head down on the pillow. And it's, it's hard to sit there and as a consultant, you sometimes go, I don't, really don't want to take that work. And anytime you have that thought, in my experience, if I ever have that hesitation, it turns into a poor experience. I don't do the best work. The customer doesn't get the best job. And that's where I've learned the power of just saying, you know what, that's not the right opportunity. Let, I either good luck or I think somebody might be a better fit for that project that you're looking at. And I, I think a lot comes with that. Now, before I, because I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about Book Yourself Solid, but before I ask you that, one of the things I wanted to ask about was your experience on the on the chair of, um, not the chair, but being on the board of the American Council on Exercise. Because you've been an instructor for so long, you've been very active in the fitness industry. I look at anytime you get involved in a board, anytime you get involved in that level of organization, you really learn a lot more about the dynamics and about how things work. So first, what what was your reaction? How did it feel to go from having worked throughout the industry and then all of a sudden here you are, you're on the board of directors for American Council on Exercise. Talk a little bit about what that felt and what that meant to you in your career. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would start by saying, I think I know what it means from being inside of it and you having worked for the organization and, and knowing who the board is made up of, um, it means a lot. I still think there is a false perception that a lot of these fitness organizations just have a bunch of fit people that sit around and make the decisions. And so I, I would start by saying the caveat is the ACE board of directors was a bunch of industry insiders before, but in the tenure of the CEO now, it has changed completely. For a very long time, I was the only fitness person on the board. So former congressmen, people that work in the Department of Commerce, uh, vice president of marketing at Spiro Robotics. Like it's so I say that so that you understand why what I'm getting ready to say like makes me teary. I had won a couple of awards at that point for being a good instructor. I always thought that winning the idea instructor of the year award would be like the ah, crowning jewel and not just not to take anything away from it. It was the highlight of my career from a practical standpoint, but being asked to eat an interview 
for the board in, in two ways. One, imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to even be asked? Have I put on airs that they have not seen through yet? Like, why am I going to sit down next to a former congressman? Like, what do I know about business? Because I've always downplayed the business role that I have in this business. And then when I got onto the board and went to that first meeting, I mean, it truly, I think I cried in my hotel room that night. Cause I'm like, oh, this is it. Seeing the inner workings of it and figuring out what levers to pull to make lasting change for the industry at large, which trickles down to the practitioners, which trickles down to the consumer to get more people moving. I was like, oh, now I understand. And to your point, that was a, a, a pivotal moment in my life where I went, okay, it has to be a hell yes, or it's a hell no. Like, yes, teaching classes was my gateway to everything that I did and all of my opportunities. But that was just, that wasn't my work anymore. Like my work was in the business suit in the boardroom. It, it was very interesting. And I did end up on the executive committee as the secretary and then the vice chair and in my final year as a chair. And that was a really interesting experience too, just to be able to, yeah, work so closely with the executive team at a nonprofit and, and, and figure out what all the decisions are. It's so much more than step touching. And I know you guys know that that sounds so silly, but um, it's a big business with big impact. I mean, ACE is a nonprofit, so it's, it's mission driven, not financially driven. They have to make money to be able to, because even a mission needs a margin. Uh, But yeah, life changing. I know that was a long winded explanation, but it really was. Thank you for asking the question. But the the reason why I asked that question, Shannon, is it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen. I know you're involved in the organization before you got into the board role. And what I want people to hear is that, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, is nothing, I believe nothing happens by accident. I, I, I am a believer in luck. But for me, luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparation. So that if, you, sure. if you work hard, if you're prepared, and if you have everything ready to rock and roll, then when you do sit on that airplane seat next to whomever, or you do get that invitation to interview for an opportunity like being on the board, you're ready. You know mm-hmm. what, what's needed. I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about showing up to substitute a group fitness class. If you're, if you're ready to walk in and face that challenge, you, you have the skills to go do other things. And what, one of the reasons why I was asking that is because now I want to set that up is what did you do? How did you develop the, the systems? How did you develop the, the approach that put you in that position? Because I know as a consultant, you've worked with some, some well-known names and some well-known organizations within the fitness industry. And again, that's not by happenstance. That just didn't happen. What did you do to put you in that position to have those opportunities? Really interesting question. I yeah, I want to rewind to go forward. I think why it meant so much to me was I realized that the path I put myself on had paid off. That the ROI, like you asked me the ROI question, I always knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a respected business mind in this industry. No disrespect to the practical piece, but I knew that wasn't my highest level of contribution or even the thing that I was best at doing. I was better at creating the systems and seeking out the talent and training the talent and creating the plan and making it work. Um, So it's like this culmination of, oh, oh my gosh, it actually worked. And here's the validation. Ching, moving on. Um, So how did I make it work? I think I got really clear a long time ago about my who, what, and why. Um, I knew that I wanted to help fitness professionals be able to make more money, 
because I got frustrated that not everyone could have the opportunities that I did to have the impact. And I saw so many people exiting stage left because they just couldn't figure it out. Either they took on too many classes and burnt out, or they switched from group fitness to personal training because that's where the money was at and they hated that and they left. Or they thought the natural evolution, because I did a lot of consulting for people that wanted to be presenters, they thought they had to be a presenter to make more money. Then they peeked behind that curtain and went, oh, no. Um, And I got, so I'm like, how can I help people do this? And I knew that teaching more classes wasn't going to get me there. So long story short, I started exploring. I just did a lot of research. I put myself in super uncomfortable positions in the fitness industry and did jobs where people were looking at me going, why are you doing that? I opened a gym. I sold gym memberships. I did management and group fitness and personal training, but I did all of the jobs in the fitness industry. I started going to Ursa, not just to be the booth babe, but to go to the business lectures and start networking with the people that made the decisions that allowed people to do the things that I was doing. And I just started to expand my war test. And like I said, put myself in really awkward positions where I'm like, who am I to be trying to talk to Chuck Runyon? Or who am I to be trying to talk to Brian O'Rourke? Or who am I to be doing X, Y, Z? And I just kept giving them the value that I could give them, which I'm really good at systems. I'm really good at spreadsheets. Like all of my past sociology worlds and population density studying and working in retail real estate, it all kind of came together. Uh, And my communication minor did as well. So I did a lot of research and I researched beyond what I was currently doing. I guess the best way to put it was I always just put on an outfit that was a couple sizes too big and I didn't care what people said when I had it on. I knew there was something else I needed to do to have the impact, which ultimately I just wanted to get more people moving. But if I can't get more people to navigate the career and find their place and make more money and stay in it longer term for the right reasons, then we can't get more people moving. So here's where I need to be to make that happen. I don't know if that answers your question. And what I'm going to do is take that kind of a step, take a slightly different way, Shannon, because I think what a lot of us in the industry have to become comfortable with is that this is a numbers game. Because I hear a lot Mm -hmm. of people all the time in this, again, it's one of the things that's kind of like nails on a chalkboard to me. It's like, well, I don't want to work for them. They're a big corporation or or that's become too corporate or, or this or that. And it's like, okay, let's take a step back and let's look at this. Our mission, I know you've said this, my mission is to get more people moving. I want, and my focus specifically, if you ask my why, is to work with people over the age of 40 mm-hmm. learning how to use exercise to, to manage the aging process. That's my why. Okay, so, and I'm just giving this for an example for listeners and for viewers, people watching this. So, in order to do that, what do I need to do? Well, I don't have the money to open up a thousand gyms around the country. So, what do I need to do? Anybody I work with, I need to recognize that they need to see value that I bring to their organization. So they can make money for their gyms, so they can open more gyms. Because that's really what we have to we have to look at. I think we have to shift that our mindset of like, oh no, I don't want this to be corporate. To saying, okay, we need that corporate structure, we need that organizational structure. Number one, we need to be successful, so we have places to work. I mean, we, we're experiencing a huge shift right now, but I know I know there are equity groups out there that are buying up properties. As, as certain clubs are closing, as things are shuttering, guess what? There are people out there with deep pockets that are buying up things right now. And, and I'm sure you probably know a little bit of that back end too. And so what do we need to be able to do? We need to be able to understand the finance of what we do. We need to be able to say, hey, as a whether I'm an instructor, you're an instructor, you add value. And I want instructors to listen to this very, very carefully. 
Because Shannon, when you're teaching a class at six o'clock on a Monday evening, you could have 40 people in your studio. Now going forward, you might have another 150 people home on the live stream from the studio where you're teaching it. You're impacting 200 people in an hour. How many people can a treadmill impact? You know, a treadmill costs ten, twelve thousand dollars. You're hitting the nail on the head, and, and I think what we're both trying to say is, and, and gosh, it's so important to understand. As an instructor or a trainer, you're playing a part, and if you don't expose yourself to the entire ecosystem and industry, like group fitness is an industry inside of the health and wellness industry. So my suggestion is you've got to truly understand the landscape. And even if you don't think you want to go into business, cause you're probably sitting there saying, well, you know, Pete and Shannon, that I don't want to do the business thing that you're doing. Like, I just want to be a more impactful instructor. But what you're saying is true. Like if you don't understand the landscape and where you fit in, you have no way of explaining to someone your value. And I, I used to do a workshop on that for group fitness managers. And I will never forget like the, the slide is a little kid in the corner, like stomping their foot and going like this, but I want it. Like, that's not the way to get what you want. You've got to be able to, you were asking me about my ROI. You've got to be able to talk about ROI to the clubs. And, and that's why we all got just hosed during COVID. Because we never were able to articulate as an industry how important we are to this ecosystem. And we'd, we would just placate, right? We'd say, well, I'm, you said it before, I'm just an instructor or, well, it's just my hobby or I don't do it for the money. And every time we downplay our importance by accepting where we are, um, I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice. We're doing the consumer a great disservice. And the other thing is we look at the paths that others have, have led. And the question I get asked a lot is, well, which path, how will I know if I'm on the right path? And I think, and I'm doing a webinar, a free webinar for ACE about this. It's called take control of your career. Cause I, I think we have to stop being shapeshifters. We have to take back control. And I don't mean that in as an antagonistic point against corporate or clubs. I think that clubs need our talent now more than ever. And they, they are, they are on the verge of understanding our importance, but in order to capitalize on everything that's happening, you have to take control of your career and stop being a shapeshifter. So I keep going. I know I'm a broken record. Who do I want to serve? What do I want to help them do? Why am I doing it? And then instead of shape shifting into the opportunity, go look at the opportunity through that lens and decide what makes the most sense for your ROI. And then you can stand very boldly with both feet and go, no, I can't do that for this, but I'll do it for this. Oh, you can't pay me that. Oh, well, then I'll need this in exchange to accept that offer. And you can say it with confidence because you understand the grand scheme of things. That's how I would sum it up. And that's and that's where I was going with that, and I, and I know that we were kind of on the on the same mindset on that because I think as we go into the next, I really do believe, and and here's what I think, Shannon, I firmly believe that that the fitness industry, the future of the fitness industry, has never looked brighter. And I know somebody mm-hmm. might hear that and go, "Wait a minute, my club closed, this closed, all these companies have gone out of business." Okay, well, they didn't have money in the bank, they didn't plan for a rainy day. There are organizations out there. It's raining and they're ready to rock and roll. But what I'm also what I mean by that is what we've seen with this virus over the last year is yes, there are outliers. Yes, there are those people that are young and fit that maybe had an underlying condition and they, they passed as you know, they unfortunately passed as a result of COVID. But for the most part, for a strong majority of people who are healthy, active, they pay attention to their diet, they have healthy lifestyle habits. If they got sick, it was seven, ten days of discomfort, but you know what? 
they got better. And I think what this shows, what we're going to see is we're going to see a boom in about six to 18 months. I think the fitness, I think the fitness industry is going to be busier than ever. I think people are, they're not, not everybody's going to come back into a facility, but I think we'll attract, I think we'll attract new customers. I know that streaming is never going away. I think people are used to that, but at the same time, I was just, I was just reading something this morning that more organizations are going to be going to a work from home model. Well, where are you going to go for your, your, your personal interaction? You can only go to so many coffee shops. That's where the fitness center is going to, you know, the fitness studio, the, the health club. This is where it's going to be that, that place where people can come interact and connect. And, and what I really think that uh, what we need to do, everybody that works in the industry or that, that wants to, to enhance their career, is they need to start thinking that two or three steps ahead about, okay, as this happens, what value can I add? Can I, I like what you said, think about the whole picture. You know, that, that my training, my undergrad degree was in economics. <laughs> I actually learned exercise science as a happenstance. That's why I shared a little bit of work in politics. So economics teaches you scarcity and teaches you how to plan with resources. And so I, have, I take a very different approach to this industry that I know a lot of people do. And, and where I want to go with this is that we need to start preparing now for what's going to happen in six months, 12 months, 18 months. And that really is, I mean, that's why I love our conversations offline and why I wanted to have this conversation with you on the record and public because I want people to start thinking this way. It's like, what can we do? And I know that you, with your book, what did you learn? Because what I want to ask you with and what I've been fascinated by, because you've referred to it, and I always like learning from you on it, but when you, what did you learn from Book Yourself Solid and how is that going to help you plan for the next six to 18 months? Yeah. Uh, you know, like I was saying, I have so many thoughts. Uh, I was saying how I ended up where I am or you know, why the board meant so much to me is, is about 10 years ago. I, I feel like I had done all the job. That sounds horrible. I haven't done all the jobs in the industry, but I had, I had surveyed the landscape of the fitness industry. And I knew the the next step for me was stepping outside of the industry because I still had a bit of imposter syndrome on the business side. Like mm. who am I to say that I can help other businesses when I've never actually been in another business? So I plunked down a very significant amount of money to take a chance on doing the book yourself solid coaching certification. Cause I'd read the book. I would used the work in my own work. Uh, you know, my husband and I owned a software company we created 13 years ago that we just successfully sold a couple of years ago. I'd use it to build that business. I knew the system worked. And when I had the chance to go deeper and study with the person that put it together and put myself up toe to toe with other entrepreneurs that kind of, they did look down their nose at me the first time that I walked in the door, like, well, what do you do? And I didn't really know how to explain it. I'm like, well, I'm a fitness business consultant. Oh, you're a trainer. Mm, <laughs> no, um, there are businesses in the fitness industry. Oh, you help people open clubs. Mm, no. And so anyway, I'll fast forward. I plunked down way too much money for a fitness professional to go through it, but I knew, I knew I needed to like skate to the next scene because what is innovation it is anticipating what the customer needs. The only way you can anticipate what the customer needs is to have a framework. And I knew I needed a framework to be able to teach people or use it inside of the industry to help people go through uh, the same process that I had gone through. So it taught me so much. It, it taught me that creating a business as an as a solopreneur in the service industry is not actually all that hard. It just takes a system and it takes consistent effort. 
And if you have a reason, if, if you have a message, if you have a thing inside of you, there is an audience that is ready to hear it. You just have to get it out into the world. And so many of us have a failure to launch because we just don't, we are, fitness people do know systems. We know systems. That's how we create programs and classes. You just need a system for getting your message out into the world. And then you have to work that system consistently. What I loved about Book Yourself Solid is it's so aligned with how we approach teaching and training, all the advice we give to our clients when we try to give them a plan to reach their goal, that it's so easy to turn it back around on my coaching clients and go, well, what would you do if your client was telling you no, or said they didn't want to do that right now, or they didn't want to put the time into that. So it's it's such a great parallel for the fitness industry because it's the same work we do, but it is my Bible. I have read it. I don't mean to say that it's not sacrilegious, but it has gotten me through a lot and, and a lot of reinventions. I've used it with a lot of companies. I've used it with a lot of individuals. Um, it just works. It's a great system. No. And that's, and that's, that's the cool thing I've seen. I mean, like I said, you and I, we've known each other for a while, but I, and this is a no, I don't mean any, any, any bias by this. I don't mean anything bias. I wouldn't really consider you a close friend. I consider you a, a professional colleague and we're friends and I've, I've really admired, you know, having you seen, having, I've seen you progress. I mean, you, I don't think you remember the phone calls that we were on back in, in the mid 2000s when I first started at ACE. I know I was kind of in the background of the call, but I remember hearing you on those calls and just having you seen and see you evolve and grow your career. It's been a fun journey to watch and, it, and it's motivated me. I mean, what I like about, about people like yourself that are doing what you're doing in your industry is you, you, you show me what's possible and it pushes me to say, okay, what can I do? She's doing that. She's kicking butt. She's done a phenomenal job here. Okay, great. It is possible to go out and do this. It is possible to, to say, step outside the gym and put on that professional hat and go and, and bring more value to an organization to say, hey, here's my input on how we can take that, how we can take that to the next level. And I think I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people out there that work in a service industry. Not only whether it's fitness, it could be another service industry, could really benefit from just learning more about the systems and learning more about that mm -hmm. approach and just really saying, okay, what can I do this year to really invest in myself and really to, to take it a step further? So how can you, you mentioned you're doing a webinar. I think you said you're doing a webinar for ACE. How can people get a little more information about what you're working on and what you're going to be doing in, in the near future? Sure. I would say, you know, before I tell you how because I know we've been talking about like big business. So I, I hope people aren't going, oh, well, that's not what I want to do. Service professional is trainer wants to reach more clients. Trainer wants to become a manager. Group fitness instructor wants to become a presenter or put their own education out into the world. Or you want to become a business consultant for other people. So it, it applies to all of those different pathways, for lack of a better term. But yeah, doing a free webinar for ACE called Take Control of Your Career on March third next Friday doing I'm doing a free webinar every Friday uh, not every Friday the last Friday of every month this year about book yourself solid this upcoming one on February 26th is the keep in touch strategy that I spoke a little bit about so we always do those and you can get the replays if you can't show up live all this stuff is on my website shannonfable.com there's a the webinar that'll walk you through the entire system give you a little bit more in-depth information there's a four-part course if you'd prefer to do even more in-depth and then I do have a couple of slots for this intensive, but you'd have to speak to me privately about it because I only let specific people into it. But yeah, that's the work I'm doing. Just jump on my website or my social and you can always find out more and love to see you in that webinar at the very least at the end of February or March 3rd with ACE. 
No, I think I'm at the. I'm reach down. I don't want to do it while we're talking right now. I reach down on my phone and have to put that in there and go to the website. But I really appreciate it, Shannon. And I just want to say, and like I said, I mean, I want to say, like I said, that's a little bit redundant. But I, I want to say I, that I really, I, I appreciate the professionalism that you bring to what we do. And and I don't know if other people think the same way because when I see other, when I see my peers out there, when I see colleagues out there, and I say, okay, this is possible. This can happen. It lets me know that I got to keep grinding and I got to I got to be a little bit more efficient about what I'm doing and keep going forward with that. And what I'm trying to do with the podcast is what we're doing now is I want to give you a voice and try to share it with other people so we can try to get as many people on the same wavelength and try to get them moving forward as much as possible. So, hey, I really appreciate your time. I know we've gone a little bit over from the technical issue. So uh, I'll have all your contact information in the show notes and down below. I'm going to put this on YouTube. It's going to be shared on on Facebook. And I I certainly appreciate your time today, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate it. That was a fun conversation. Again, I want to remind you, if you go to the All About Fitness podcast page on YouTube, that's all about fitness podcasts on YouTube. You can catch you can catch that interview in person. And I'm going to be putting up interviews there. Most of the interviews I do, I'm going to record. I'm going to try to put up on, on the podcast page or on the YouTube page so you can see it. YouTube is getting a lot more traffic on it for podcasts, and I'm trying to take advantage of that. One of the reasons I do this podcast is because I have great relationships with a number of leaders and educators in the fitness industry. And as Shannon and I have gotten to know each other over the years, and I do consider her a friend, I consider her a colleague and a friend, we've had some phenomenal conversations. And we were talking recently, and I said, hey, wait, Shannon, let's do a timeout on this. Let's pick up this conversation. We, we can record it for a podcast. I'm like, I think this would be great information. And I really, I look at Shannon as a mentor ever since I've known her, even though she, she's done different things in the industry than I have. I look at her as a mentor because I see her as a leader who's done new things. She's broken new ground. And I always enjoy working with her. We've collaborated on one or two projects. Every time I work with her, I learn something from her. And again, whether or not you work in the fitness industry, I think we could all get a little something out of that conversation. If you want to find out more about what Shannon is doing with her coaching programs, go to shannonfable.com. I'm going to have all the information down in the show notes. If you want to find out about the workouts and everything that can help you enhance your quality of life and slow down the aging process, go to petemccallfitness.com and again, sign up for my mailing list. I'm not going to spam your email box. You'll get one or two emails a month, blogs, videos, high quality content that can help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's the All About Fitness Podcast. That's All About Fitness Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, it's simply Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. As always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness. <laughs>